All right, so something that we often try and do on this show is bridge the gap between music and politics by having politicians of different political beliefs on where we only talk with them about music. So far, we've had two politicians come on the show, both of whom told me that the perfect guest for this show would be a guy named Warren Kinsella. Warren is a political consultant, author, lawyer, and musician, and we're very excited to have him with us to talk about his favorite music. This is Having a Chat. So on this show, we usually kick things off with a lightning round of questions just to help listeners get some context, get to know the guest a little bit better. Uh, In this case, I want to try something different. Warren's website uh, has in his sort of about page has a bunch of stuff that I think does a far better job of uh, explaining who he is than any lightning round of questions ever could. So... uh, if it's all right with you, Warren, I'm going to just fire uh, fire these off. Uh, Warren Kinsella is a raconteur, bon vivant, and occasionally a Toronto-based lawyer, author, and consultant. He is not profound, but it is said that he can be useful in a stick-swinging, bench-clearing brawl. Warren's heroes are Malcolm X, Christ, Raoul Wallenberg, Bobby Kennedy, Joe Strummer, and his father. He's also pretty sweet on his mom, who calls him twice a day because she worries about him. Stephen Harper has said that I think that Warren guy is onto something. Bob Ray calls him a stupid blogger. Peter C. Newman, meanwhile, has said that Warren Kinsella can have an effect on as many Canadians as the New York Times. And just for those listening who are fans of music, Warren, throughout his career as a music journalist and author, has interviewed Joe Strummer, Joey Ramone, Sham69, Eddie Vedder, The Buzzcocks, Joey Shithead, Blink-182, Stiff Little Fingers, Ian Mackay, Bad Religion, Pennywise, and many, many more. That's quite the bio, sir. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, (laughs) my dog is biting my feet here as I speak to (laughs) you. It's all good. Okay. These are sort of the funny things that come up as, uh, as, as we do these things on Zoom. Um, so first of all, I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming on. And part of the philosophy sure. of the show is um, sort of taking people of a wide range of political beliefs uh, who, and sort of coming together through music. So you, I first came across you, um, I was working on a very short-lived political campaign, and we can talk about it afterwards, but, uh, and you were, were very, very critical of the campaign, and I remember saying, all right, let's check out this guy's Twitter page, and, uh, and I remember thinking, oh, he has such a cool taste in music, so uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's sort of funny how these things can bring people together, and, you know, and, and your name has been brought up a couple of times now on this show, the first, um, with Tony Clement, who I have a whole number of political disagreements with, but he said that you were his sort of punk rock guy. Um, and uh, Michael Cotto as well, uh, okay. who said that, that he loved your taste in music. So just to sort of kick things off before we get into your song choices, what can you tell us about sort of your take on the cross-section of music and politics? Uh, well, I mean, for me, they were connected. So I was in a punk band in I was in a few punk bands in Calgary where um spent a lot of years where my family was for 30 years and um we uh, formed a band called the Social Blemishes and that band that was the first punk band on the prairies I think um and we were into the Clash and the Sex Pistols and the Ramones and we then um, became the Hot Nasties which became a better known band and what was happening then, so it was 1979, 1980, the National Energy Program was underway and it had a cataclysmic effect on Alberta. And, right. uh, you know, whether you agreed with the program or not, it just, it, it devastated economies uh, in, and families in Alberta. And so it gave rise to all kinds of reactions, some of them emotional, 
including a desire for Western separatism. <clears throat> and my family had come from Quebec. I was born in Montreal. Right. And uh, we, we came to Alberta to get away from separatism. And then, you know, here it is starting in Alberta. So I was like, to hell with that. So I started organizing gigs um, with my band and other bands, Rock Against Separatism, Rock Against Racism, because a lot of these separatist types, sorry, Joey, get over there, go. Um, a lot of these separatist types were um, uh, xenophobes and, you know, against outsiders. That was the summer, actually, that Ernst Sundel, Jim Keekstra, Doug Christie, Terry Long and the Aryan Nations, all those guys met each other and came together. And so um, I guess what happened with me is, you know, I love punk rock and I still do, but I found that, you know, some of the kids just want to go to shows to have a good time, right? They're not interested in politics. So I decided I was going to join a, uh, a political party. I didn't like the Tories because they were kind of playing footsie with the Western separatism stuff. Right. <clears throat> the NDP was irrelevant in Alberta. And so it was the liberal party. I went into the, um, campaign office of the federal and provincial liberal party in Alberta and Nick Taylor, who was the, um, the uh, leader of the Alberta liberal party greets me and I'm wearing like torn jeans, uh, Converse and a biker's jacket. And I think he thought I was there to rob the place. And I said, I wanted to join up and I gave him my two bucks and that's how I got involved. So I've always had this fusion from the start between uh, music and politics. Well, it's funny you say that. So, I mean, I, when I was in high school, I used to book, uh, I used to book shows as well. And, and there was sort of a whole community of people who, you know, were involved in booking shows, people in bands, things like that, that I really surrounded myself with. But when I, but throughout high school, and I'm still very close friends with these guys and, and politically active with these guys, there were two other friends who were involved in liberal party politics, who uh, we were sort of the, you know, we were two we were kind of weird in the liberal party politics circles and we were also kind of weird in the sort of music scene circles. So it, it was sort of a, a great uniting force. Um, so, yeah, well, and I still get that, you know, you get people in politics who don't get the punk rock thing and you get yeah. people in punk rock who don't get the politics thing. And I don't really give a shit either way. Right. It's, uh, I, I enjoy both. And there are ways that the two things can come together. <laughs> to make the other one stronger. So, um, yep. yeah, but I, I've always, that's the way I've always been. Right. Well, I mean, so I, I couldn't agree more, but some something that I think is interesting, <clears throat> and you've written about this extensively, so I'm curious to get your take on it, is sort of, and you touched on it briefly, but the the sort of, the interconnection between sort of far-right extremist groups and punk rock. Um, and, you know, you talked about Western separatism and sort of xenophobia and the two sort of being sort of in, loosely intermingled with one another. Um, how do you sort of, and then also, you know, there were surges of it at different periods of time. I mean, there, there was a time when punk bands in Toronto were banned from certain venues because skinheads would show up and beat them up. Um, so how do you see that relationship, the relationship between sort of far-right groups and punk as well as far-right groups with these sort of Western separatist movements? Well, it wasn't, uh, I mean, uh, you know, skinheads weren't always neo-Nazis. They weren't always white supremacists. I had lots of friends who were skinheads at the start of the Calgary punk scene. And those kids, those guys mainly would come out to our shows and, and like they were into ska and bluebeat. The music they loved at the outset was music that had come from Jamaica and was, you know, performed by black bands. And then something happened around 78, 77, 78, uh, the British movement and the National Front took off in Britain. They were undergoing economic uh, pressure. You know, there was a recession underway. And as always happens in those circumstances, racist groups start to organize. I think we're going to start to see it during the pandemic as well, where you're going to see far right groups trying to recruit and promote anti-immigrant themes and anti-refugee themes and so on. Right. So um, um, the skinheads that we knew, they changed. Like it became awful. And we used to have, sorry, my dog is, Joey, get out of here. Go, go. <laughs> we'll have to edit that out. Sorry. Um, he's, named after jo- he's named after Joey Ramon. Oh, um, brilliant. So what happened was uh, these guys, they just full bore 
got involved in racism and guys like Terry Long and Keegstra and Zundel, they started recruiting these skinheads to act as muscle for their various political movements, their racist movements. And it was a bad, bad time. And unfortunately, you know, the race, the skinhead movement was basically taken over by the far right. And right. there are skinheads like sharp skinheads, skinheads against racial prejudice right. who um, are not like that. But most of the skinheads uh, kind of bought into it whole hog. So what happened was we were having tons of fights at shows. Um, one night, we op- my band, the Hot Nasties, opened for 999 at McEwen Hall in Calgary. And we finished our show, <clears throat> finished our performance, got off stage. And, um, you know, we were feeling pretty good. We opened for this major uh, British band. And um, we look over and there's some guys, something's going on. Like there's some right. some disturbance. And we got closer and these guys were making Nazi salutes. And one of them had a t-shirt that said, drown the boat people. Because at that point, Canada was properly admitting people from Vietnam and Cambodia. Mm. So I said to this guy, uh, am I allowed to swear on your show? Uh, we, we bleep it out for the, uh, air, uh, for the uh, radio okay. version and then we keep it in for the podcast. Okay. All right. Well, you can send me the podcast link. I said, why don't you put your fucking hands down? And he's like, fuck you, you Jew. And so anyway, we got into it and um, a big fight and, uh, you know, and we won, but like they never went away. Right. It, it remained a problem. And, um, you know, that is the story of the far right is during times of economic crisis and cultural crisis like we're going through now, they try and take advantage of that. And um, so anyway, that for us, my entrance into politics, um, my opposition to racism happened because of my involvement in punk rock. Brilliant. All right. Well, with that, uh, first song that I've picked is one of yours from back in your high school days. This is I Am a Confused Teenager by the Hot Nasties on CJRU. That was I Am a Confused Teenager by the Hot Nasties. We are here having a chat with Warren Kinsella, Canadian author, musician, political strategist, and former member of the Hot Nasties. Uh, next up, Warren, what song have you got for us? Um, I've got, uh, well, the one I think would be fitting the play because of what we've been talking about is a song called White Man and Hammersmith Palais. And White Man and Hammersmith Palais is my favorite song of all time. Um, and it's a fusion of reggae and punk rock. It was done by The Clash, who was a single by them in 1978. And it's about Joe Strummer going to this all-night reggae show at the Hammersmith Palais in London. And Ken Booth was playing there, and Leroy Smart, and um, just like some of these big, big names. And he was the only white guy there, 
I've experienced right. that myself because I love reggae and I love dub. And um, it was the first song that really brought together reggae and punk rock. And it was important because it introduced a lot of us skinny, white, suburban punk rock kids to reggae and uh, the importance of reggae. So Stiff Little Fingers and The Clash and The Ruts and The Slits, all of these kind of seminal punk rock bands, especially from Britain, um, embraced reggae culture and embraced dub culture and uh, became really important. So that's White Man and Hammersmith Palais. Alrighty, this is White Man and Hammersmith Palais by The Clash on CJRU. We are here having a chat with Warren Kinsella over Zoom. Uh, and you just heard White Man and Hammersmith Palais by The Clash. And I just want to give a quick shout out to the band that introduced me to sort of ska and showed me the, the merging of a, uh, 
uh, of punk rock and reggae music. And that was a band called the Ruthless Ones. I remember seeing them for the first time in high school and they, uh, they completely blew me away. And so Warren, if you, if you get a chance, I'll, I'll have to send you some of their stuff. The Ruthless Ones, they were, uh, Sounds good. they were a pretty cool band back in, uh, back in the high school days for me. Uh, so next up we have, what I would consider to be a, a classic um, by one of my favorite bands, uh, Ceremony by New Order. What do you have to tell us about this tune? Yeah, this one, uh, so I've, all of us, you know, as punk rock was dying and it was kind of collapsing with all of these fights at shows. I mean, that's why the Hot Nasties broke up. We got fed up with the shows and like we could have, we could have a gig in Calgary by word of mouth. We can get 500 kids out, right. uh, but the skinheads would come and they beat the shit out of people. And then the girls didn't want to come to the shows anymore. And it's pretty bad. So Pierre, uh, who is our guitarist, he and I wrote the songs for the Hot Nasties. We said to hell with this. And so I went off to uh, Carlton to study journalism and we packed it in. Um, and uh, so anyway, we, uh, uh, what song are we playing again? Sorry, I lost track there. Uh, Ceremony. Yeah, so Ceremony, we started to get into kind of post-punk stuff, and that was Joy Division. Unfortunately, in May of 1980, Ian Curtis hanged himself just before they were going to go on their tour of North America. So, you know, the guys, the remaining three guys in the band trying to figure out what they're going to do, and they decided to stay together, and they became New Order. So Ceremony is a song that was actually written by Joy Division, right. and the words were written by Ian Curtis, and it is just like the most amazing song. I've said to everybody, all my friends and family, you have to play this song at my funeral. Right. So, I mean, what do you, what do you think of how their sound evolved? Because, I mean, my, New Order was sort of, I used to really sort of thumb my nose at sort of dancier music and music with synthesizers. But New Order for me was really, really the, was the band that sort of showed me that that can actually be kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, like Rush to a certain extent, but Rush's whole thing was that they never really were cool. Um, but yeah. New Order was like a very, very cool band, and they were playing dance music, and you know, in the Hacienda and Manchester. Um, so, yeah. what do you like? How do you think this song stacks up against uh, you know their bigger hits like Blue Monday, for instance? I think. Uh, well, I mean, it's Peter Hook who is the bassist. Uh, so I play bass and right. uh, but no, by no means as good as he is. Um, he was the signature sound for both Joy Division and for New Order. Mm -hmm. So that first riff you hear at the start is Peter Hook. And like without him, I don't think New Order amounts to much. If you listen to um, Blue Monday, they, um, uh, that is also him who's kind of right. carrying the melody. And that's weird if you've been in a band you know that it's you know usually the melody is the singer or the guitarist or the keyboardist right. it's not the bassist and that's what made them unique and gave them a, a unique sound but in terms of the dance thing like it's okay to dance like punks like to right. dance too and like uh, that's what ska and, yeah ska and blue beat and all that was about um right. and uh, i you know i admit when i first heard some of the stuff that new order was doing i was horrified but I mean, it was the eighties, right? And yeah. punk rock had kind of died and we were all trying to figure out what we were going to do. I formed a band in Ottawa called, uh, that's my dog's head there. Joey, get out of here. Um, uh, called the trial continues. So it was just me, uh, my drummer, uh, who was the room, my roommate, uh, Chris Benner. And we had a, a little, um, uh, a woman, Gail Nakamoto, played this little Casio. We were right. very 80s, and we were kind of a dance. You know, we just focused on the beat too. So right. I guess everybody, everybody was doing it in the 80s. But it's it, I think I've found it fascinating. I mean, the thing that sort of made me look at New Order and think, okay, maybe you know this this dance stuff isn't so bad, is that like their their roots really do trace back to punk. I mean, this is the second time I've talked about this movie on the show now, but. Uh, the movie 24 hour party people um, with Steve Coogan really illustrates how this whole sound, like the sound of factory records with like the happy Mondays and uh, you know, joy division and new order really came out of a sex pistols concert in Manchester. So I just think yep. that that's really, really cool. How that. Uh, yeah. How that and that was out. a, that was a formative gig. So that gig, the pistols played in Manchester, the buzzcocks were there yep. and Her Howard DeVoto who went on to form uh, magazine uh, all the guys from Joy Division, 
like the pistols, you know, Johnny Rotten, I've interviewed him many times over the years, over the years, and he's a fucking asshole. But, <laughs> you know, they, they changed all of our lives, right? And it was yeah. the same thing, you know, when I, for us in Calgary, I got the first Ramones record. So it came out in April 1976. So I got it shortly after that. And, you know, I played it for my buddies. And I'm like, you got to hear this. This is like, this is crazy. It's just like another world. But the one that electrified us, I got a copy of uh, probably the first copy of God Save the Queen that arrived in the Canadian Prairie and played it for the guys and then got a copy of uh, Anarchy in the UK. And we're just like, holy shit, like this is like incredible. And um, so, you know, those bands, um, it's a cliche, but they did change right. our lives you know yeah, they showed us absolutely. that we could we could do it too yeah absolutely all righty well this is ceremony by new order on cgru
All right, you just heard Ceremony by New Order. And if you're just joining us, we are here over a Zoom call having a chat with Warren Kinsella. Uh, next up, Warren, we've got a tune by Against Me, one of their earlier tunes. We've got uh, Pints of Guinness Make You Strong. What can you tell us about this one? Well, I, I've known uh, the Against Me guys. So I knew Tom Gable when he was Tom Gable, and I've known right. Tom Gable since he became Lauren Jane Grace. And at the start, uh, Against Me was just Tom Gable. And uh, then they added uh, a drummer, then they added another guitarist and eventually a bass player. And, but those early songs that Tom Gable did, um, for those of us who followed against me for 15 years, are really an incredible bunch of music. There's just mm -hmm. his, his lyrical skill, his musical skill was just something else. And he, they were anarchists and they, you know, slept on people's couches and they did right. the punk rock thing. Now they're, you know, kind of rock stars. I'm not right. as into against me anymore because I love them still. I love her, but uh, they're just really good musicians. And that's right. one of the problems with punk rock is after right. a while you start to learn how to play really well. You don't sound like a punk anymore. But on this one, um, when you see against me play, uh, at the you know at the Phoenix or one of those venues, and when they play this song, it's like the lid on the place just comes off, and you have these hundreds of punks screaming along to this song. It's yeah. it's something else. So I played it on in my social isolation during the pandemic. This is the song I played on St. Patrick's Day. Brilliant. Well, I mean, I I remember first hearing one of their songs. They had a song called "I Was a Teenage Anarchist," and it was in it was in this great movie called The Other F Word, which is about um, punk rock musicians who become fathers. Um, if you haven't yeah. seen it, I feel like you'd get a kick out of it. And it, you know, it's got a whole range of uh, musicians. It was directed by um, uh, the chap from Pennywise. Um, so it's so sort Jim of- Jim Lindbergh. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Jim, Jim Lindbergh. Yeah. yeah, so it was a fantastic movie, but I remember, you know, hearing that song and just being blown away. And then a few, a few years later, I, uh, I got to see them opening up for, uh, for Green Day at the ACC, which, you know, some would argue that's not punk rock anymore, but I, it was still a, a really, really enjoyable show. And, and, I, and I had a lot of fun and, and they, they really did uh, impress me, which I, I, I always go in with high hopes with, uh, with opening acts. So it, they, they certainly lived up to the hype. So how, how is it that, you, that you've gotten to know them? Just interviewing, you know, I was writing for uh, rock and roll magazines. That's how I'd get right. into shows. So I've interviewed everybody, Van Halen and, uh, you know, uh, Kiss and Ted Nugent, but also a lot of the bands that I love. And so um, I got to hang out with them. So I would get paid in tickets to shows and, right. and records. That was good enough for me. So that's how I got to know uh, a lot of them. And then, so basically what I do now when I'm writing a newspaper column, uh, you know, somebody like Laura Jane Grace is very thoughtful. She's actually been campaigning for Bernie Sanders in the state. Right. And um, so I like talking to them about politics, giving them an opportunity to talk about stuff they don't normally do. Like Fat Mike in NoFX um, is, uh, you know, was involved in organizing against the, uh, uh, George Bush and during the right. Bush years and like it it's that's a characteristic that one of great album cover with um I think it, it, they had some very cartoonish looking version of George Bush on one of their album covers which I thought was brilliant yeah it's rock against Bush yeah yeah so yeah. uh yeah so Fat Mike uh has done that stuff Jim Lindbergh from Pennywise uh the Bad Religion guys yeah. like they all uh, you know, are politically aware. And, you know, those of us, there are, I mean, there were bands like the Ramones who were just more into fun. Uh, but uh, a lot of the punk bands, especially a lot of the California punk bands now, because that's where yeah. punk rock kind of came back was through California and Hermosa Beach. Those right. bands um, are very political. Yeah. Well, I mean, who were like the original Hermosa Beach? It was like three of them, right? It was like the Black Flag, Black Flag, Black and... Flag, Circle Jerks, and uh, I would say Bad Religion. Bad Religion's been around for you know almost forty years. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's funny hearing you say this because you know I I just got into the sort of music journalism thing this year, 
Um, yeah. and, and I've had just this like, sort of similar opportunities getting to interview all these bands through the radio station and stuff like that. And it's been, it's been a really, really cool experience for me, but it, it's, what's more interesting is, is with things like this, where I get to sort of find a way to merge it with politics, which are, yeah. are cool. So this is Pints of Guinness Make You Strong by Against Me on CJRU. That was Pints of Guinness Make You Strong by Against Me. And we are here having a chat with Warren Kinsella. Uh, next up, you've got a song by The Replacements. What can you tell us about The Replacements? Well, the 80s sucked. The 80s were terrible. The 80s were <laughs> awful. Punk rock was dead. And, you know, this kind of disco was coming back. And it was this cultural wasteland. And what happened was there was this band from Minneapolis these total losers, kind of like us, misfits, were the replacements. And they were punks, but they had some advanced musical skills and they had amazing songwriting that was coming to them from their lead singer, Paul Westerberg. And so um, this is from their first album, Let It Be. They did that as kind of a cheeky shot at the Beatles. <laughs> and it is just an unbelievable album. It's an extraordinary album. And this is the last song on the second side. This is back in the days when there was vinyl. And it's just, it showed Westerberg and it showed the replacements to be, even though they were punks, they were poets. And writing a song about a guy kind of trying to connect with a woman, a girl over an answering machine, because people had those in those days, and right. how awful it was and how he couldn't say what he wanted to say over the answering machine. So I thought during the pandemic, a lot of us experiencing that. So I thought it'd be a good song to listen to. Yeah, brilliant. All right. Well, I mean, one thing I just have to say about them is I, I think that they are one of the most influential bands of all time, um, especially yeah. for people of my generation. I mean, I, w one of the things that I think is uh, is interesting is they, they are one of the most consistent bands that come up when I'm doing interviews with different bands. Um, yeah, musicians love the replacements. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Listen, I'm just going to let the dogs out because they're going yep, crazy yep, yep. in here. I'll be right back. All good. Just, I'll All be right. right back. This is Hold Answering on Machine by The Replacements on CGRU. <laughs> 
by the replacements uh we are here having a chat with warren kinsella and next up we have got a song by modern lovers called roadrunner warren what have you got about this one well we started playing punk rock in 75 76 like so we were pioneers punk rock and we um, couldn't cover anybody else's songs because we didn't have to play our instruments. We were that bad. Um, and there wasn't a lot, a lot to listen to. You know, you had right. the Stooges, um, you know, with raw power and no fun and stuff. You had the MC5, but a lot of the stuff from Britain hadn't really come over yet. The Ramones were just getting started. It was hard to find their stuff. And there was this kid from Boston, uh, Jonathan Richmond, who had this band called the Modern Lovers. And one of the guys in the Modern Lovers went on to join the Cars and another one went on to join the Talking Heads. But Richmond was this genius. And this song is, I believe, one of the first punk rock songs. It's two chords, like that's it. Just two chords over and over again. And he makes it work. So any band that I've been in, we always play Roadrunner because you can go for 15 minutes. As a matter of fact, in my first band, uh, my first band, um, my band Shift From Hell, their first record, we play this on it. And the lead singer at that point was a guy named Charlie Angelakas. And he just does this whole riff about living in Windsor and growing up in Windsor. And it's just perfect. <laughs> so that that's why I thought we should play this, uh, play this song. Because for, for those of us, all the suburban punk rockers across North America who were looking for something and hadn't found it yet, Jonathan right. Richmond gave, gave us some of that. Brilliant. All righty. Well, I can't say it any better than that. This is Modern Lovers with Roadrunner on CJRU.
You're just joining us we are here having a chat with warren kinsella just wrapping up this hour of our first show back uh since the spread of covid19 uh and next up we are going to be listening to our cancon quota segment and in order to fill our cancon quota we are going to listen to a bunch of songs by warren's band sfh warren what can you tell us about this group of yours <laughs> well, our yeah, our name is Shit from Hell, and that was a name um, that we stole from this Alberta band, this seminal uh, Alberta punk band called Junior Gone Wild. And they had uh, they were briefly a couple of those guys were in a band called Shit from Hell, so I thought that was a great name. Um, so they've been. It's mainly my brother and I, and we fight like the Gallagher brothers. Right. Uh, we've got one guy now who's also a singer and guitarist. So we're just a three piece. At the moment, uh, Aaron Yamanson, he was, used to be the Globe and Mail and is uh, now an editor for another publication. That's we brilliant. had another guitarist, a guy, uh, Steve Laterante, who was the managing editor at CBC News. He's over in Scotland now. And um, so we've done a few albums uh, from Shit From Hell. Uh, it's just uh, to screw around, it's just to have fun. Uh, we play shows at Cherry Cola. Um, usually at the Bovine. The Bovine Sex Club has been great to us, and I'm very much hoping that they survive the pandemic. Right. And um, it's weird. Like, we're kind of the Forrest Gump of Canadian punk rock. We played one show in Hamilton, and Frankie Venom from Teenage Head was there. And I said, right. hey, why don't you come on? We'll play a couple songs. Frankie ben Venom comes on stage, plays a couple songs with us. He was dead two weeks later. Last show he ever played oh, was with God. us. Wow. Um, we, we did another show at the bovine and there's this big kerfuffle while we're playing and I'm like, what's going on? And it was 
Tommy Stinson from the replacements and guns and roses was, was at our merch state. He was selling our merch. He, he was a little bit loaded. So he decided he was going to do that. (laughs) It's Uh, always fun getting someone random into, to do the merch table. Yeah. And then like the Palma Violets who for a while were the biggest band in Britain, I got word, um, uh, from somebody at CBC that the Palma Violets, this huge band in Britain, were playing one of the songs, one of the Hot Nasty songs called Invasion of the Tribbles. And I was like, no, they're not. That's bullshit. But it was true. They were ending every show. They played Glastonbury, a huge, thousands of people. And they oh, played a song God. I wrote with, with my best friend when we were 15 years old. So I got to know Palma Violets. Um, and so when they last played in Toronto, Shit from Hell opened for them. So they, Shit from Hell is just for messing around, but uh, we get to meet some cool people as a result. Well, that's brilliant. Um, what, so, so you mentioned, you mentioned the Gallagher brothers and, and, and I'm only going to throw this in here. Cause as I said to you earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm just a massive fan and anyone who listens to this show knows I'm a massive fan. And one of the things that we usually have in our lightning round at the beginning that we skipped over, and I'm curious to get your take on, uh, before we wrap things up is, are you a Liam guy or a Noel guy? Oh, I'm a Liam guy. No, no, no. I'm a Noel guy. I think Noel's funny. Noel makes me laugh out loud. Right. Uh, I, yeah. And he's, yeah. Although I dig Liam too. Like he's, right. I, I, the two of them are like, they need each other. They just, yeah. it's, they create yeah, no, a better they, universe. They really complete each other for sure. All right. Well, say, you know, yeah, I'm a Noel guy. You were, yeah, you are Noel. the first guy to say Noel and uh, Tony and Clement and I had a laugh about it. We were wondering who the first guy was going to be. So uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly glad that it was you. And the next time you, you talk to him, you can tell him that you were the first one to, uh, All right. <laughs> to say Noel on the show. All righty, Warren. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. And this is Kinda Sucks by SFH on CJRU. Now a trio with a really, really big future. The girls with the with the new sound, and here they are, the honeybees. <laughs> Yeah.
Dream. 
It kind of sucks that we don't make out when we meet. We just kind of talk. And it kind of sucks that we don't live on the same street at 